If you've ever wanted to share your faith with others, but for some reason you can't, don't miss today's Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman. It's this practical way of living every day with this adventure and intimacy with Jesus because he's sending you to seek and save the lost. It's part of our core identity as a believer to trust God and to be a part of what he's doing in the lives of people. Welcome to Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages. Today, Heather and Ashley Holloman talk about what it means to be sent. Well, that might make all the difference if you are nervous about sharing your faith or you feel like you won't know the answers to some hard question that might be brought up. I hope you'll stay with us for another Summer Best Of broadcast today. And if you go to the website, fivelovelanguages.com, you'll see the Holloman's book titled, Sent, Living a Life That Invites Others to Jesus. Gary, I see you as kind of a natural at sharing your faith because it's part of really who you are. Was there ever a time when you didn't feel confident sharing with others? You know, Chris, what jumps into my mind immediately is two weeks after I accepted Christ, and I accepted Christ when I was in the fifth grade, okay? A senior walked up to me at the bus stop where I was catching the bus to go to school. And he said, somebody told me you're a Christian. Is that right? <laughs> and I looked up at him. He was much taller than I, and he had cigarettes wrapped up in his shirt sleeve. <laughs> and I said, no, not me. <laughs> he said, okay, I'm glad. Uh, and he walked away. And I'm telling you all that day, I felt awful. I, I, knew, I knew about Peter, you yes. know, denying Jesus, and that's the way I felt. And that night, I poured my heart out to God. You know, I said, oh, God, oh, God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, and help me never, ever, ever to deny again that, that I've accepted you as my Savior. <laughs> it's a vivid experience for me. I mean, it was, it was I guess, really, it was really at Moody uh, Bible Institute as a student that I first really learned how to share my faith with people. So in high school, uh, I, I lived a Christian life, and I think people knew I was a Christian, but I didn't do much in terms of evangelism and really sharing the gospel in yeah. those years. Well, I wonder if that fellow with the cigarettes in his in his shirt sleeve, if he's listening today, maybe <laughs> you can break I the news I have an to idea. Him. He is deceased. Aww, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I went back uh, went back to my hometown a few years ago and just asked around if anybody knew him. Really? And I didn't find anybody that knew him. And I always regretted that I didn't go back later because we were at the bus stop. You know, I just kind of avoided him after that. But we were at the bus stop every day. You know, I could have gone back and, 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 and took my stand, but I didn't. So yeah. anyway, God knows what happened to him, and I know what happened to me. So, uh, but it is a regret that I have. We've had a, we've had a lot of conversations through the years. That's the first time I've ever heard that story <laughs> that you told. But you know what? There's something real there. There's a, there's regret. There's this spiritual longing. There's all of the intervening years between that point and this. And my guess is that something our guests will say today will will strike something in your own heart along these lines. I'm really looking forward to talking with Dr. Heather Holloman and Ashley Holloman. We talked with Heather before on the program. She's a speaker, a writer, faculty member of Penn State's English Department. Ashley, her husband, uh, serves as the National Director of Cruise Graduate Student Ministry. 
He completed a master's in chemistry at the University of Michigan and then joined crew staff to minister locally to grad students, first at the University of Michigan, then at Penn State. He and Heather have two daughters, Sarah and Kate, and you can find out more about them and our featured resource at fivelovelanguages.com. We're talking about the book, Sent, Living a Life That Invites Others to Jesus. Well, Heather and Ashley, welcome to Building Relationships. It's so good to be on your program. Yeah, thank you so much. What a joy. Since this is a program on relationships, let's start with how you two guys met and fell in love. What's your love story? Well, I love our love story because the Lord sent me to the bitter cold at the University of Michigan to get my PhD, and I thought, I am never going to find the Southern gentleman I have been hoping for. (laughs) And when I got to the University of Michigan, the Lord uh, called Ashley Holloman to get his PhD from, or he was he was entering into a master's and PhD program, and he came from North Carolina. So the Lord brought the South up to Michigan, and our love story really began. Um, we were both seeking the Lord. We weren't established and strong in our faith, but we knew we wanted to shape our adult lives according to the Bible. But we were really young in our faith, or at least I was, and so I joined. Um, a ministry campus crusade for Christ, which is now crew. And as a grad student, I started reading the Bible and learning about how to share my faith. And here comes this handsome graduate student in chemistry, joined the ministry, also started getting excited about his walk with the Lord. And we just found a great purpose together. Even back in our dating years, we just were really excited to see the Lord use us in the lives of others. So we quickly fell in love. We got married. I finished my PhD and Ash went on to get, he finished his master's and then joined the ministry of crew. Um, And the rest is history. We've been married 20 years. Well, what's your story, Ashley? Well, to be be completely honest, I had never dated before. And so this was kind of a really big deal. Um, I remember going home Christmas after my first year in grad school. And I was like, wow, there's this girl here. And I were really good friends and I like her a lot. And I'm like, Oh, this is kind of how this works. And God just kind of, <laughs> God just kind of, you know, kind of the dunce, but God just kind of took it from there. And, um, he really molded our lives together. And, um, the, um, couple that was mentoring us at that time was like, you're sort of walking down the road, reaching out hands, holding your hands and, and continuing to walk down the same road together. And God really did that. He really built a life for us together, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Oh, that's grateful. I, I'm identifying with you because I live in North Carolina. Oh, do you? Yeah, Winston-Salem. Ah. Where, where, did, where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Raleigh, small little town called Fuquay Varina. Oh, yeah, um, I've been there. So, yeah, I know so that. I'm a Tar- yeah. Went to school at the University of North Carolina, grew yeah. up at Tar Hill, always at Tar Hill. And, um, <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. How important was it for the two of you to be united in your faith, uh, Ashley? Yeah, it was incredibly important. It was and is the foundation of our marriage. It established the values of our marriage and family. It shapes the risks we take, the costs we count, the opportunities we say yes to, the opportunities we say no to. Uh, And our shared faith in Christ gave us the same purpose for our marriage and family. And it and he, Christ, has drawn us to one another like nothing or no one else ever has. Yeah. Heather, let's talk about the book you've written together. What does it mean to live a sent life? Well, we were so excited to write this book because this idea of living a sent life means that you fully embrace this overlooked identity in Scripture 
that Jesus is sending us, the number one way that Jesus describes the Father in the book of John is the Father who sent me. So this is like core to Jesus's identity. So by the time we get to John 20, 21, when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, I just got chills. I got so excited to think, this is who I am. Evangelism is a core to who I am as a Christ follower. So the book is really about what it means to to live your life according to the principles of ascent life. And it's this practical way of living every day with this adventure and intimacy with Jesus because he's sending you to seek and save the lost. Ashley, what do you say to the person who says that uh, they don't have the gift of evangelism? And a lot of people have said that to me through the years. I just don't have the gift of evangelism. Can they live the sent life? Absolutely. And, and the first, first of all, I tell them I understand because I, too, don't have the gift of evangelism. I really believe Heather does, but, but I don't. But I've seen God use me graciously. He's used me in the lives of, of, of several, many people. And so I tell them that they can still have an incredibly satisfying, joyful, fruitful life of seeing God use them to help others come to know Jesus. They can absolutely live a sent life uh, because doing so has everything to do with who God is and who's, who God's called them to be. We share a story in the book about me shoveling snow with our, or trying to shovel snow with our youngest daughter, Kate, or rather Kate trying to shovel snow with me. I love to shovel snow. I love to shovel it efficiently, effectively. And um, one day, many years ago, Kate, our youngest, walked out. She's four. Imagine Ralphie's brother from A Christmas Story. She's you know, as bundled <laughs> up as she can be, barely move. She, she says, Dad, I want to help you shovel with the snow. And the first thought I have, to my great regret, is she's just going to slow me down. Hmm. And I said, you know, Kate, just going back inside, I got to finish this. And she drops the shovel and just slumps her shoulders and walks back inside. And immediately, I just felt God's spirit putting on my heart this idea of, Ash, did you ever just imagine that maybe she just wanted to spend time with you? And as mm-hmm. I was kind of struggling with this a few years ago with why you know, this idea of not having the gift of evangelism, God brought this story up. And I was thinking, God, why are you bringing this up? That's, that was already painful back then. Why are we bringing this up again <laughs> now? And he said, you know, Ash, when I thought about um, reaching the grad students of the world and perhaps using crew to be a part of that and, and you given direction to that, um, I never really needed you to do that. Um, and I'm pretty sure you're going to you're going to cost me more time and more work by you being a part of it. Um, But I thought back when I thought about doing this, I think it'd be really cool to do that with Ashley. I think he'd really enjoy doing that with me. And um, so it just gets down. It's not about my greatness or your greatness. It's about the greatness of God. It's about the kindness of a God who would say, I want to do this with you because I think it would be really great. Yeah. Yeah. We began the program by my sharing with you my fear of acknowledging I was a Christian to a senior in high school when I was only in the fifth grade. Uh, but there's a lot of people at different ages who really have a fear of sharing uh, Christ with other people. Uh, how, how do we get past the fear? Well, as someone who regularly shares my faith, and I do think I have sort of a supernatural, you know, the classic gift of evangelism, and that means that my natural Like when I go out into the day, I naturally, it's just part of me. I want to reach out to people. My first question as I get in new situations in my mind is, does this person know Jesus and how can I help them know him? Whereas Ashley, it's more that act of uh, responding to the Holy Spirit, knowing he's living a sent life, trusting God to use him. But the fear is usually 
a fear of rejection or it's a fear that maybe you won't know what to say. And the best way to get over that is to realize this is just a joyful adventure with Jesus. He's doing all the work. You're just cooperating with him. I mean, Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, famously said, uh, success in evangelism is sharing um, your faith in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. And mm-hmm. that's sort of how I just think, you know, it's not my responsibility to see that there. God is doing all the work. My job is to just joyfully and easily enter into the lives of others. So what I love about our book is it's really practical. We talk about how to ask really good questions, how to use your best resource, which is your own story of transformation, and to just begin sharing your life with people. And there's no fear because if someone says to me, for example, if they ask a hard question, I can't answer. My favorite response is, I don't know. I have no idea. Do you want to read the Bible with me and we can figure it out together? (laughs) Or I say, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to answer your question. Let me find you someone who can. So there's no fear and there's no reason to feel like you can't leave your house and and have the expectation that God's going to use you in powerful ways as, as your life intersects the unbelievers that he's put in your path. So instead of fear, I wake up with a joyful expectation no, Ashley's more of an introvert. That's why Moody was so excited to invite him to write this book alongside with me. Because as an extrovert, you know, I can walk into a room and Ash says I could lead a rock, you know, to, to the <laughs> Lord. But he has a whole different experience. And I love hearing the way he doesn't have the fear, but it is more of a step of obedience. Wouldn't you say, Ashley, it's more like that for you? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, let's talk about that, Ashley, uh, the, the introvert, because, you know, there are people who get sweaty palms when you just even hear the yeah. word evangelism. Uh, so so really, can an introvert come, come begin to feel comfortable sharing their faith? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and as Heather said, I'm an introvert, and so I've had to l- learn this over, over several years. But I think the sweaty palms come from thinking that you have to be an extrovert, perhaps, um, for example, you think you have to always speak on the spot, or you may have to talk to everyone all at once. To use a biblical metaphor, you may be thinking you have to put, uh, you, you may have to be David putting on Saul's armor, and it just feels mm-hmm. really uncomfortable and, and out of place and not how you're shaped. And uh, but instead, introverts have qualities, they have abilities that help make them perfect for sharing Christ in a natural way. You know, introverts tend to be really good listeners; they tend to like and are pretty good at focusing on one person at a time. Plus, they don't overwhelm their introvert friends uh, like our extrovert brothers and sisters in Christ <laughs> may, may tend to do. Um, they like having ongoing long-term conversations and return conversations, which is exactly what sharing Christ in a natural way often, often involves. Yeah, yeah. So introvert or extrovert, we can all learn to share our faith. Yes. In the book, you talk about uh, three core principles of a sent life. Describe these three principles. Well, I love these three principles because what happened was Ash and I were hosting a group of graduate students and some faculty in our living room several years ago. And they said to us, you've got to tell us why. Why do you live your life the way you do? How do we live like this? And, you know, I looked at Ash, she looked at me. And at that time, I thought, you know what? It's the three core principles. The reason why we start the day and we be and we think about evangelism, we get excited about the scent life is because we know three things. And here they are. We get really excited about them because it's a way to shape your whole life. The first is that God is always at work 
to draw people to himself, you know, whether or not you perceive him, we know from John five, Jesus says, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. And the work that Jesus is doing, we know in Luke 19, he came to seek and save the lost. And so that principle that God is at work. So if, if you think about family members or friends where you feel like it's a hopeless situation, just remember the father's always at work. The second principle is for whatever reason, God chooses to use people to lead others to Jesus. I remember exactly where I was in the student union at the University of Michigan when I read Acts 1-8. I was sitting in front of Wendy's and it's where we learn you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Mm. And I thought, wow, it could have said anything. It could have said you'll receive power and you'll be you know, better worshipers or you'll be this or that, but it said, you'll be my witnesses. So I began to just collect passages of scripture that indicate God will use people to lead others to Jesus. Second Corinthians, we know he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. You know, we know from scripture that he chose us and appointed us to bear fruit. So the second principle is he's using others to lead others to Jesus. And then the last principle that just shapes our life, everything we do, it's that God is inviting us continually into the work of evangelism. And I love just thinking afresh about the Great Commission because Jesus says, you know, go and make disciples and teach them everything, you know, to obey everything I've commanded you. And so I get really excited about that, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He invites us to join us with him. So we tell a lot of just stories in our book about what it means to wake up in the morning and shape your life according to these principles. God's at work. He uses people to lead others to Jesus. He is inviting you into this work with with him. So if we put those three things on a three-by-five card, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> yes. practical and just read them every morning. That would probably be a good place to start, right? <laughs> well, it would because the Lord actually used a really powerful story because I don't know about you, but I've got people in my life where I think, God, I just don't sense you working here, but I want to live my sent life. And I was trying to get home from a speaking event actually in North Carolina. Oh my goodness. I was so homesick. I was ready to get home. I go to check into my flight and I'm anxious. I'm homesick. And the United ticket agent says, your flight has been canceled. And I, this, this is what the Holy Spirit did. I, I, I have to get on the phone with this, this ticket agent. I'm crying. I'm homesick. I'm trying to be spirit filled. And I said, I don't understand, you know, United canceled my flight. And this is what the ticket agent said. And this is what the Holy Spirit used to remind me of my sent life. The ticket agent said, you need to stay on the line. You're not going to hear anything, but I am here. I am working and I am making this right. And then it was silence on the phone. And every few minutes I would say, <laughs> are you still there? Are you still working? And the ticket agent would say, I am here. I am working. You're not mm. going to hear anything, but I'm making this right. And every morning I wake up and I think of the people in my life that don't know him. We, you know, we talk about listing the names of five people in your natural pathways that don't know Jesus. And I remember that United ticket agent, you know, I write down the names of people who don't know Jesus in my life. And I think, God, you're, you're working. I may not perceive you, but you are at work. <laughs> That's great. Well, now let, you mentioned that, uh, five names, uh, writing down five names of people that uh, you know do not know Christ and begin praying for them on a regular basis. How does that fit into the whole plan of evangelism? That's a great question. I, I, th I think the first thing that it does is it just helps you take inventory, and, and, a, and I mean that in a, in a good way, of, of those folks around you. Who do you, you know, who are around you? Who has God sent you to? 
who has God placed you next to? Um, and it just helps you start to begin to think, do I see them the way God sees them? Can I see them as people dearly loved by God and created by God and created for a relationship with him? Um, and it may, it also may help you take inventory in the sense of, well, do I know five people who don't know Christ? And mm-hmm. if the answer to that is, I don't know if I could come up with five, maybe that prompts you to think, well, should, should that change? And how would that change? How could I get closer to those who don't yet know Jesus? Um, so I think that's the first thing it does for us. It just helps us to take an inventory of, of what God is doing and where he's at work and where he's inviting us to be a part of it. And the second thing kind of goes along with that is it just reminds you that this is something we're doing with God. Um, and so the first thing I do is I just ask God, who are those five people in this season of my life? Who, who are you wanting to use me uh, to help draw them to you? You know, who, who are we in a sense on mission together with? And then the other thing it does is my heart grows for them. You know, I've heard it so many times. You, when you pray for folks, your heart can only grow for them, you know, and uh, it grows my heart for them and, and a desire for them to be blessed, a desire for them to thrive and flourish and desire for them to know the one who, who created them, who gave his life for them and who wants to be with them forever. And then as I go throughout my day, as I'm praying for these five people, it makes me more sensitive to opportunities to talk with them about Christ when I'm with them. Um, I just, you know, I just, I'm thinking about it because God is continuing to put it on my mind throughout the day as I pray for them. And then perhaps the biggest thing that it does for us is that we really believe that prayer works, uh, mm-hmm. that God hears the words of his saints and he moves on their behalf and that there's power in prayer. And that as we pray and ask God to move in the lives of those dear to us, he does so in, in really cool, uh, supernatural, miraculous things happen. So, so what are we praying for when we're praying for a non-Christian? What, what are we asking God? Well, this was a fun part of writing this book because I found seven um, ways in Scripture that, that we see modeled for us about how we can pray for unbelievers. And the seven are really beautiful. So when I write down my, my five people, the first thing is I, I begin to ask that God would send them a spirit of revelation to know Him. That's, from, that's Paul in Ephesians. I love praying for my students, um, Psalm 119, where the priest says that their eyes would be turned from worthless things. So the things that they're pursuing suddenly don't seem that exciting. I've had many times I've prayed that and a student will come and say, I want, I want to know God. And, and I, I thought I loved my sin more, but now I really, I'm drawn to God. You know, can you help me? You can mm-hmm. also pray from Second Timothy, ask God to help them come to their senses, Um, One supernatural thing recently from Matthew 9, you can ask God to send others to help. And I prayed that prayer for 25 years for a couple who wasn't walking with the Lord. And I just said, God, I'm far from them. Can you send another Christian couple? God answered that prayer. And 25 years later, that couple uh, rededicated their lives to the Lord, started going back to church. And the good news is, is they were my parents. Can you believe that? Mm-hmm. Um, the last three prayers are so powerful, um, and I think it really reflects Paul's heart. Colossians 4, he he prays, God, open a door for the message of the gospel. You know, so many times I'll be standing with someone, and, and I'll say, I want to start talking about spiritual things. Jesus, would you open a door here for, for me to talk about you? Um, you can also pray that the gospel spreads quickly. But the last prayer is really wonderful because it's an overlooked part of scripture. It's from Ephesians 6, where normally people associate that with the spiritual warfare prayers, you know, the armor of God. 
but it's one of the only times in scripture, one of three times where Paul asks for personal prayer. And so he says in Ephesians 6, 18, pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, words would be given to me so I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So you can pray for yourself. What Paul prayed, Mm. help me speak clearly. Give me the boldness, which makes me think Paul was also afraid and also nervous of his words. So those are the seven ways to pray. And they're listed in our book and they're ways you can begin praying for the five people God has put in, we call it your natural pathway, meaning we we firmly believe that God has chosen the exact place where you live and work. We know that God formed the hearts of all and considers everything they do. That's Psalm 33. So we know that God's at work around you. So who are those five people? And then you can begin praying for them. You know, I think anyone who's listening, who's really uh, hearing and has a heart, you know, for God and really would like to grow in their ability to share with others, uh, those seven things that you just mentioned would be worth the price of this book, <laughs> because most people they're not that not that focused in terms of what they're asking God for. Uh, that, that's extremely helpful. Heather, Ashley, I've got a question for you for the person who's listening, and they you know they believe in God and church is okay, and they've read some of the Bible. Most of it doesn't make sense to them, but. Uh, the overarching feeling that they get from their Christian friend is not that, oh, my friend really loves me and cares for me. It's that I'm a notch on their spiritual belt. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a name on their card, and they're praying, and they're looking for the right place to zing me with some apologetics or to send me a video or give me a book or whatever. How, how, what do you say to the believer who has a friend who feels like I'm just a project to these Christians. I'm just something that's in their life, someone who's in their life that they need to change in order for them to love. What do you say about that? Yeah, that's a that's a really, really good question and a really good one to ask because I, I think people definitely feel that from time to time. I would encourage the believer, the, the, the person who, whose friend has told them this or feels that way, maybe they don't know that. First of all, I would say, just kind of do a process check. How are your conversations going? How are your relationships, your friendships going? Do they feel like a project or do you feel like you have to sell them something um, when you're, when you're talking to them? And, and maybe alongside that, I would just really encourage them. We aren't selling something that we're really cooperating with what the Lord is doing in a person's life. Um, And it really is good news. It really is something a person would want if they understood it. And, and can we help that person have a real series of real conversations where they really understand who God is, who they are, what God has done for them, what God wants to do for them, and just and, and enter into that journey, a spiritual journey with them and, and, and believe that God is at work. Believe that they don't have to push it. They don't have to shove it. They don't have to sell it. But they're just cooperating with the God of the universe, the hound of heaven, who is pursuing their friend. And, and to consider themselves, how would they want to be pursued by God uh, if they were in their friend's shoes? Um, what would it feel like for them? And just to really encourage them to look at their heart, look at their motivations, and to, if needed, have just a really good, helpful conversation with a friend about how that's how that's going. I, I had to, to do that myself. I've got a dear friend who is, um, we've been talking about Christ for since we moved here 12 years ago. He's my best friend in the neighborhood in State College. We've had to have kind of these kind of process checks along the way. 
you know, he doesn't share my, my beliefs, but he knows um, because we've been able to talk about it and process it, that I just want what God wants for him. And I love him dearly. If he never received Christ into his life, we're going to be best of friends regardless. I love when Ash talks about the process, Chuck, because when I was beginning to share my faith with the neighbors, I had started this walk to school campaign and I would share, you know, we're walking to school, everyone's drinking coffee, we're having a good time getting our kids to school. And I would just start talking about things that the Lord was teaching me in scripture. And I turned to the woman beside me who I knew had converted to a Hindu faith tradition. And I just said, she she's my, was my best friend. I said, does it bother you that I talk to you so much about Jesus? I just said, does this bother you? Mm -hmm. And she turned to me and I will never forget the look in her eyes. And I get tears thinking about it. She said, no, I would like to hear everything you have to say about him. Mm -hmm. She just Mm -hmm. was hungry. And not only did she pray to receive Christ when she understood the gospel, she led her husband and two children to the Lord. And Mm -hmm. she has an active ministry uh, right now on our campus. Wow. You know, it's always exciting when you see that God was at work, like in that situation. You know, uh, there was, however, a Barna study that uh, revealed back in 2019 that 47% of Christians believe that it was wrong to share your faith, and particularly those seem to be among millennials. Uh, Why why do you think that would be true among those who see themselves as Christians? Um, You know, the honest answer for me is, is I don't really know. I don't know why that is. It, it, it befuddles me. The scripture it seems to be clear that you know, the greatest thing that's happening in the world is that God is drawing the people to himself, um, that people are lost apart from him, that the gospel really is good news prompted by God's love for people and for those he, he created. And it seems, as we've been talking about in this book, it's part of our core identity as a believer to, to, to trust God and to be a part of what he's doing in the lives of people good things in the lives of people. And so uh, it seems like the scripture is clear that that it is not wrong. In fact, that is a fundamentally a good thing. So it, it might be, I, I'm just hazarding a guess here, but it, it, there might be less biblical literacy currently than there has mm-hmm. been in the past. And it may be that some have allowed the world and its beliefs or values to shape their thinking more than scripture in this area. Yeah. And it may also be the other thing, it may just be bad experiences. It may be ways it was done not the best. Maybe the ways were not helpful or, or loving. And there may be conflating ways that sh- others have shared their faith with sharing their faith at all. Yeah, yeah. It was, you would think if a person really has a close walk with God and they're in the scriptures, it'd be hard to feel that we shouldn't share. <laughs> yeah. But we want to share the good news, you know. Uh, how, has, uh, how has the whole COVID situation uh, impacted uh, sharing the gospel? Well, for me, as the extroverted gatherer in the family, I, it was really difficult. I thought, okay, we've, we've really got to figure out a way to gather people to care for our neighbors. Um, and so we've done some things online. We, we have a soup and story night that we used to host on Monday nights to gather the neighbors together for soup and we would share stories, but we had to move that to a Zoom call one night. We've also done socially distanced fire pits are big in, in Pennsylvania. You know, you have a fire in your backyard and people can gather around. Um, we've done walking. Um, but, you know, the, the hardest thing was just figuring out how to unite with people. So Ash 
walked up and down the neighborhood and stood outside people's houses and immediately got their contact information just so we could have a group, uh, a street Facebook group. I mean, do so that was one, you know, mm. one thing. But for me, I've um, done a lot of texting strategies, I guess you would call them, where I just text my five people and I'll ask them how I can care for them. The one of the women that I just love and pray for, I, I texted her and I said, this is really hard, what we're going through, how are you doing? Is there any way I can pray for you? And, and what I love about living a sent life is no one in 25 years of ministry has ever said to me, no, I don't want you to pray for me. Mm-hmm. Not once. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I love praying for people. A lot of people know I keep a detailed prayer journal and my students will even say, you know, Dr. H, you know, I'm an atheist, but could you put me in the prayer journal today? <laughs> so they know, you know, so those are, those have been my strategies. And, and I love it because Ash, Ash is so great because he is an introvert. And so he's, he's really good at, you know, letting me plan things that don't exhaust everyone. So we've done different things like that. I don't know if Ash had anything to add, but mostly just thinking of ways we can text and do online um, Zoom calls and being outside as much as we can um, in a safe way to continue to gather with people. Yeah. There are people who say, even if COVID were not around, that, that they don't have time to get together with other people on a regular basis. And, and thus build friendships where they can share the gospel eventually. Uh, how, do you, how do you push back on that kind of thinking? Well, I can answer that because I was one of those people a few years ago. Um, <laughs> Heather was, as Heather said, she's the, she's the community organizer, and she had an idea. This was probably 10 years ago. Uh, she noticed that, uh, you know, that when we grew up, you'd have dinner, and then as soon as dinner was over, you were out the door, you know, because there was still light and time to play. <laughs> and now we look around and no one's outside. And so she goes, where are all the kids? Where are all the parents? And so she just started calling randomly. Well, not randomly. She had a list of people in our neighborhood. And she goes, my name is Heather Holloman. You don't know me. But in an hour, we're going to be gathering in my front yard to play. Would you like to come? <laughs> and they came. And that first <laughs> night, it was uh, 15 people. Two years later, we had regularly, weekly, we had 50 people. We had to move it to a parking lot to do it. It was just a really cool thing. But at the, at the very beginning, as Heather was sharing this idea with me, I was like, nope, nope, <laughs> nope. I'm exhausted. I've got this going on, that going on. I can't imagine adding one more thing. But then, And this is where the power of the Holy Spirit really comes in. I really felt restrained by the Spirit, like, just let Heather lead this. Trust me on this. Take a step of faith and, 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 and let's see what happens. I'm so glad I did. God was so right. Heather was mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And it became an incredible time of us really reaching out to our neighbors. A couple quick things practically um, we've learned along the way, besides just taking steps of faith and trusting God with the time, uh, is do things with people, not just for people. Mm-hmm. People want time with you, uh, not just service for them, although that is good. And so we try to focus on what are the different things we can do with them. And in particular, what can we invite them to uh, that we're already doing. So uh, it's not a new event, but um, it's something we're already doing. So we always had Saturday morning pancakes for for years as a family. And so we said, well, let's invite others to join us. And so we invited the neighbors, several neighbors over for pancakes. They came. And then a few weeks later, we started an investigative Bible study out of that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't anything new. We were already doing it and just invited them in. Yeah. And then likewise, likewise, join your friends in what they're already doing. Because, you know, Christians aren't the only ones that are busy. They have full lives as well. And so what are, what are they doing that you can join in on that helps build a relationship and time just to connect and talk? Yeah. 
Those are great ideas. I mean, we have neighbors that love the outdoors. They love to hike. So Ash and I quickly learned to become outdoor people, you know, things like mm. that. And the for if you're interested, you know, that that pancake time where you just gather people, I was really nervous how we would transition to the gospel, you know, gospel conversations. And when Ash asked everyone if they wanted to start an investigative Bible study in the book of John to learn about Jesus, the most hostile neighbor the one that I thought would just be so offended, she turned to Ash and she said, I have been waiting for an invitation like that. Oh, wow. So we so wow. we read the book of John together. And so you just you just wait and see what happens when you start taking those steps of faith. Heather, you say in the book that you wish all followers of Christ would more fully develop the character trait of curiosity. How does that play into evangelism? Oh, that's right. I, you know, I teach professional development at Penn State, and I think that interpersonal curiosity, which means the interest you take in other people, is one of the best professional skills for anyone. And what I realized is being curious about other people, you know, there are lead researchers um, researching curiosity and its connection to well-being. But when you're curious about people, you train yourself to really be interested in them. It's a way to enact the truth of Romans 12, where Paul says to honor one another above yourselves, or think about Philippians 2, where we learn in verse 4, don't look out to your, for your own interests, but take an interest in others. And to make it this fundamental part of your life, it, not only because it is perfect for evangelism, but it really, there's a lot of research that says that when you're curious about other people, it makes you, it makes your relationships better, you're less stressful, you're less angry. Um, and it's a wonderful way to live. Now, I know many of you probably have been out to a coffee or a lunch with someone and you're asking all the questions and nobody asks you one question about your life. I mean, my students tell me that all the time. They they don't, nobody asks about them. They don't ever get to share their life. So I do a lot of training in how to ask really good questions. Um, and I'll, I'll share my favorite one with you. This is, I've been teaching 25 years and I keep a list of, you know, my 70 favorite questions to ask people. But when you're trying to get to know someone, or maybe it's one of the five people on your list, I love asking people this question. And I think it'll change your your relationships, your marriage, even your relationship with your children. Just turn to them and say, what question do you wish I would ask you about yourself? Hmm. It is the best question to get to know people. So interpersonal curiosity, you, you want to bless people. You want to honor them above yourselves. And then it leads to gospel conversations. Like my, I have four questions I always ask that make evangelism so easy. When you're with friends, you can just say, you know, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm curious, what does your tradition say about Jesus? Um, mm -hmm. We share in the book that single question led someone um, on a journey of discovery, and she, she prayed to receive Christ from that question alone. Um, I also love naturally asking people, you know, I'm just really curious. Do you consider yourself on a spiritual journey? What What's that like for you? And then they'll say, what about you? Do you have a spiritual mm. journey? I mean, we provide a lot of good, easy questions that, that lead to gospel conversations, but they're also just joyful questions that bless other people. So my dream for people would, would be that they would develop that just as a good professional skill. And it's also really good in marriage and friendships, but it will lead to natural spiritual conversations. Yeah, those questions are great. And, and the ones that you have in the book there, I think our listeners who really are tuning into this and saying, hey, I, this is an area where I really need to grow, they're going to find this book is just filled with practical things. What you just shared is so practical in terms of how to open up conversations that otherwise uh, would not would not even turn to Christ. 
But Gary, this mirrors what you've been talking about for years with the five love languages. Some people could say, well, you're manipulating someone with your question. No, you're just asking something about them and you're moving into their life, which is what you've talked about for years with the five love languages. You know, it, it may not come natural to you, but you reach out with physical touch or with spending time together with the other person. Do you see that same thing at work? Yeah, I think so, because I think uh, as you get to know the person, you you do discover that we love them. You know, as Christians, we love people, which means we look out for their best interest, and that's why we're sharing Christ with them. And as we get to know them, uh, we learn, you know, what their love language is, what makes them feel loved, and that, I think, is an asset, because everybody needs to feel loved. I mean, we want to feel loved, and so uh, I think that's uh, that's a part of that. Another question that comes to my mind is— uh, because I've heard so many people talk about this as Christians when they begin to think seriously about evangelism. Do you always have to quote Scripture uh, to people, uh, or, or, or where does that come in, in in the process of helping someone come to Christ? Well, I'm really passionate about this because I have found that God's Word is so powerful. We know it's the living and active Word of God. We also know that like Romans 10 tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And I also just look at the passages of Scripture where it's the Word that the Holy Spirit uses. I mean, there's metaphors in Scripture. One of them is the farmer, you know, going out and sowing the Word. So I think what happens is when I'm talking to people about Jesus— One of my favorite things to say is I just learned something really powerful in scripture that's helping me deal with whatever it is, you know, anxiety Mm. or fear. Mm. And then I'll share the passage of scripture and I wait to see what God's spirit does with that. I was in my office with two, uh, two professors who do not know the Lord. And one of them is an atheist. And she likes to remind me that she's an atheist. And I came in one day and I said, I just read a passage of scripture that's really helping me deal with fear. And it's where, 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 where we read that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And I, she turned around and she said, a spirit of fear? She said, I think I have that. How mm. do I get rid of that? Where is that? And I could just see God's word was, was working mm. in her. Mm. So I think when you read the Bible, it's not an ordinary book. The words have power. Think about what Jeremiah, how he describes the word. The Lord says, is not my word like fire and a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And I think of the rock of of the hard soul. So I love it. I mean, Ashley is always saying I have a special gift of just memorizing God's word, but I do do put it to memory so I can use it naturally in conversation. I have favorite passages that I love to share wherever I go. I like the idea that you talk about what the scripture means to you. You're not preaching to them. You're just sharing what, what it's speaking to you. That, that, I think that's, it's hard to see that as ever being offensive. You know, when you're sharing something that you read in the scripture, that's helping you in your life. And then God uses that. You're right. That's, that's powerful. Yes. And it yes. really allows, it really allows that person into your life as well. So it, it makes yeah. it truly a two way relationship. Like, you know, it, it's, yeah. and it, it shapes, for me, it shapes my devotional life because when I sit down now, I'm doing this more than I used to, but I'm like, God, maybe this, I know this is just me and you, but maybe these next few minutes aren't just for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. it's for someone else because you want to show me something that I can share with someone else of how you're working in my life. And so it just, it, it, yeah, it's, I think it's a way of allowing other people into our lives, which 
we should do because we're yeah. asking them to, uh, to allow us into their lives. Yeah. Well, Heather and Ashley, our time is running out here, but uh, as we come to the end of the program, what else would you want to say to people who are thinking about this and, and, and this scent life and realizing they need to be moving in this direction? Uh, what encouragement would you give them? Well, I would say first that if you don't know, uh, if you don't feel close to Jesus, when I live my scent life, I feel this sense of intimacy and joy with Him, with Jesus all day long. It helps me worship Him and really experience life as a supernatural adventure. So I'm highly motivated by, you know, joy and peace and happiness. And it's just increased as I've surrendered more and more to the Lord. Um, so that's my motivation is that joy and intimacy with Jesus. Yeah, and I'd say there is adventure, there's adventure, there's intimacy with Jesus, there's growth, but there's also, you know, there are, to be honest, there's spiritual battle, uh, there's cost to count. I don't always get it right. I think the thing that motivates me the most is that God is inviting us into the, to something that's really incredible. Uh, when, when time is done and when the final histories are being written on this side of heaven, I think I'm pretty confident that the single most important, greatest thing that historians will record that happened over the course of human history is that God was faithful to his word to draw people to himself. He mm -hmm. did what he said he would do. And that's the greatest thing that's happening. We've done a lot of great things as a people, but none of it compares to the greatest thing that's happening is that God is drawing the people to himself and he invites us into that work with him. And mm -hmm. I, I think when we get on the other side of heaven, that joy and that purpose. Mm -hmm. The only other thing that will thrill us more is the presence of Jesus himself. Yeah. Well, this conversation has been very challenging, and I trust that our listeners uh, will get this book because it's just filled with practical ideas on how to be the person you really want to be if you're a follower of Christ, and that is an instrument in God's hand for bringing other people into fellowship with him. So thanks for being with us today. Thank you. It was such an honor to be on your program. Thanks so much. Well, what I've received from this conversation today is a sense that we can rest and submit to God. We really can rely on His power to work in and through us in the lives of those we care about. And if you want to find out more about The Scent Life and how to live it, check out Heather and Ashley Holloman's book, Scent, Living a Life That Invites Others to Jesus. You can find out more at 5lovelanguages.com. Again, 5lovelanguages.com. And next week, it's one of the hardest things we have to do. But God uses this to deepen our spiritual walk with Him. Here's a hint. You have to wait for it. Listen next week as our Summer Best Of series continues. Our thanks to our production team, Steve Wick and Janice Todd. Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman is a production of Moody Radio in Chicago in association with Moody Publishers, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening.